0: Today we begin part six, part six of our journey, of our study through the book of 2 Timothy. If you're here for the very first time and you're worried because you missed the first five parts, don't worry, this is what you need to know. The Apostle Paul is writing this book roughly between 64-67 AD, this this letter has been referred often as Paul's last will and testament. For shortly after he pins the final words to this letter, he will be executed because of his faith. He finds himself, while he's writing this letter, in a Roman dungeon. Paul is not uh, uh, unaccustomed to such situations. In fact, when he wrote the prison epistles, he was under Roman house arrest during that time. But here in 2 Timothy, it's not a house arrest. He's actually in prison. He's in a dungeon. He's, for all intents of purposes, he is on death row himself. And he writes this letter to a young man he knows very well. His name's Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor who pastors at the ancient city and church in Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey on the western coast, and really, the, the heartbeat of this letter is Paul, which is amazing, considering the circumstances that we just heard, Paul encouraging Timothy to persevere in the faith, despite whatever challenges he may face, okay? Despite how busy he may get, I'm, I'm talking talking to some of us right now, despite if people treat him like garbage or a criminal, despite if he loses his very life. Persevere in the faith, Timothy. Timothy is, is timid. He is, honestly, sometimes kind of a pansy when, when you read about him. He's, he's kind of a wimp. He's a pastor. It can happen to pastors. And he's afraid. And for whatever reason, his, his faith isn't as strong and as as zealous as it once was for the Lord and and this whole letter is a call for him to really just cowboy up and keep going to to get back on that horse and, and follow Jesus make Jesus a priority follow Jesus no matter what no matter what may come his way so that's a brief introduction now you're caught up, you're ready for part 6, and we begin today in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy verse 14. Timothy implied, remind them of these things, pause, remind them of these things, let's unpack this. So Paul is telling me, I want you to remind them, and so there's a question, who is the them of these things? What things? Question mark, right? If I'm diagramming this sentence, that's, that's what I'm looking to try to answer and walk away from this. So most likely the vim here refers to Timothy's Ephesian congregation. I want you to remind the people of your church, Timothy, of these things. Well, what things? Well, the things he just got done talking about. Those things. If you were here last week, probably have a good idea of what those things were. Some of the things, remember Jesus Christ. Verse 8 in chapter 2. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Remind them of these things. Remind them of these things, that the saying is trustworthy. For if we've died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things. These are the things, Timothy, I want you to to, to take back, to tell those at your church in Ephesus. I want you to remind them of these things. These are important things to be reminded of. Whether you live in first century Ephesus or 2017 Lynchburg, these are really important things to be reminded of. To, To know that even if we are mistreated, even if we're people are making fun of us, treating us like garbage, even if we are in prison like Paul as a criminal, even if they take our lives, that we will live and reign with Him. We need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded, as verse 8 in chapter 2 says, that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He's the offspring of David. He's not dead. They killed him. He's not dead. He's alive. He was killed but he's alive he's the new king remember these things, remind them of these things you want to persevere in your faith you need to hear these things you need to know that even if you get treated terribly, even if they take your life you'll get to live and reign with him forever, after all he's the resurrected new king and you can trust him, you can trust him, you can take these promises and take it to the bank he's not going to turn his back on you So remind them of these things. Remind them. You want to persevere in the faith? No matter, no matter what, like no matter how hard it gets, how busy you get, no matter whether your life's in jeopardy, you want to keep going in the Christian life. Man, you need to remember Jesus Christ. Like, may Christ ever be on our thoughts. I was talking to a guy the other day. He's like, man, Joe, there's this girl. And man, I just can't, I can't stop thinking of her. I said, I understand the excitement. <laughs> Been there, done that, right? But what if, what if that was how it was with Christ? I can't stop thinking about Jesus. Like, He's always on my thoughts. I mean, I just finished praying. I just finished reading my Bible. I want to spend more time with Him because I love Jesus. And we just finished worshiping. And I want to do that over again. Remember Him. And so, Timothy, He tells them, I want you to remind them of these things. Remind. Those in Ephesus remind them of these things. Furthermore, he says this. Furthermore, he says this. And actually, I'll preface this before we go furthermore. Here's something want you to be thinking about through the course of today's message. It involves who you listen to. Who you listen to. Do you listen to the word, or do you listen to the world? This observation and these questions will make more sense, hopefully, at the conclusion of today's message. But I want you to be thinking about that. If you're, if you're taking notes, just kind of write that in the margins, because I'll, I'll come back and reflect on that. But who do we listen to? Do we listen to the world, or do we listen to the Word? And I would argue that as we, Christians as a whole, as we become more biblically illiterate, we become greater prey to listening to the world, not the Word. Who do we listen to? okay. So be, keep keep those questions kind of in the, in the back of your mind, off the side as we as we roll through these next verses. So this is what he says: charge them before God, those at your church, Timothy, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Any of you guys like to debate and argue? So like maybe three of you, okay. Four and a half? Got it? And some of you guys are really opinionated like myself. Yep. <laughs> I see that hand. <laughs> Praise God for those of you who are like that. There are, apparently according to Paul, there are some conversations that we shouldn't be quarreling about. We shouldn't be arguing about. We shouldn't be debating about. Okay? Okay. Do you know that? There are certain things we just shouldn't be. Why? Because it doesn't do any good. Why? Because it only ruins the hearers. That is, it acts as a stumbling block for those who are hearing these conversations. I would argue both believers and unbelievers, potentially. Of course, that raises the question, what are those things, right? Like, what are those things? Like, can you give me the list? I want to know the list. I want to know what Paul's saying. Uh, that's oftentimes our response, right? Just tell me the things I'm not supposed to quarrel about in, in, in the situation. What should I not talk about? What is it okay? And I think, one, it would be a mistake to even offer such a list, but two, Paul, Paul doesn't provide us with a list. Rather, I think what we see here is a general call to discernment and a general call to exercise wisdom because I would, I could see a situation in which if Lee and I we're talking about maybe a certain topic, and I'm not even going to specify, we're, we're having a discussion, right? And we're arguing back and forth. It might be okay. But maybe if Savannah's now in the conversation, or Wes, or Tim, it's, it's no longer okay, for whatever reason. Maybe, maybe she's a new Christian. Maybe he's an unbeliever. I would say, in some situations, it, it could be perfectly okay to have that argument, to have that debate, and in another one, maybe not. And yet, I think, as we reflect upon these words, The application is to understand that there are some things that we maybe need to think through. Should I really be discussing this maybe in the company of the opposite sex? Maybe not. Maybe that's not appropriate. Maybe that's problematic, not just inappropriate. Should I be having this debate, this argument in the front of this guy who, man, he just got out of this like old sinful lifestyle? Maybe it's, maybe that's not okay. Maybe that's going to cause a stumbling block. I think if anything to reflect on this and realize there is a time and a place to have arguments, and we'll see that in a, in a few verses. There's certainly a time and a place to draw a line in the sand, but then there's also a time to exercise restraint, exercise discernment, exercise wisdom. I think the wise person realizes this. The wise person realizes, hmm, should I really be quarreling about this at this moment, around and surrounded by these people? More than just saying, Here's what you can do. Here's what you can't do. I'm not here to give you some legalistic like law, but rather to reflect upon what Paul is calling Timothy to do. Charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. It's the best application I think I can make that that hits everything in one shot. We really need to think about those conversations. And this is not a call to, you can't debate or discuss theological things or social issues or political things. I'm not saying this. It's not a blanket prohibition. I'm just saying, think about it. Think about what you're talking about, where you're talking about it, and who you're talking about it with, and who is maybe even an earshot. Think about it. There are some conversations worth having, and there are some that, as he says, only Only ruins the hearers and causes a stumbling block for those who I would say could be both believers and unbelievers. He continues into verse 15 and this is what he says. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Present yourself, present yourself before God. The, the idea in the original language of presenting oneself conveys the idea of standing alongside or before God for for the purpose of presenting in, in sort of like an inspection sort of way. When he says, present yourself to God, it is the idea of standing alongside or before God as we present oneself for inspection. I couldn't help but think of, as a reservist, one time a year, they'll do uniform inspections and so you'll stand and rank in rank and columns and you'll have a senior non-commissioned officer usually come through and he'll inspect your uniforms as you stand there in front of him and he goes down the ranks. I mean, he's got like a tape measure. He is checking every detail and inch of your uniform to see if your name tag is exactly where it should be, if it's off too far to the right, to the left, wherever it's supposed to be, your ribbons, and so on and so forth. As we stand alongside each other trying to present oneself for this sort of inspection. That's the idea Obviously not in a, a uniform inspection sort of way, in a, in a bigger sort of way here. But that's what he says when he says, present yourself to God as one approved. That's what he's referring to. We're, we're standing alongside, we are standing before the creator of the universe, presenting oneself for this inspection. And as one approved refers to favorably passing the scrutiny of the Lord so there's the picture right standing there rank and column and, and and we are having this inspection and God is the one inspecting us and he says you need to pass that inspection pass favorably as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth the implication in this text is that there are individuals, on the other hand, individuals, unlike Timothy, who have a great reason to be ashamed. Who ought to be ashamed. Timothy, I want you not to be ashamed because you're rightly handling God's word. But the implication here is that there are those, perhaps they're in Ephesus, who do have a reason to be ashamed. Who are not going to hold up under the scrutiny of God, who are not going to pass inspection. Why? Because they're not rightly handling God's Word. Church history, even our own time, is filled with people, filled with individuals, who claim to be teachers, who claim to be ministers and servants of God, And are nothing but wolves in sheep's clothing. That's a reality. And I'd love to say, man, like, I'd love to say, just because you heard it in Convo doesn't mean it's worth like a Facebook like hashtag and post. Like, man, that was awesome. Hashtags faith, hashtag growing, hashtag spiritual. You gotta be careful, you gotta be discerning. Maybe if you heard in Convo 10 years ago, but uh, you gotta be careful. Go to Lifeway Christian bookstores. I love Lifeway. Doesn't mean it's Christian. Doesn't mean you should be listening or reading certain things on the shelves there. Many of us, right? We don't know. And when we don't know, we become prey to not listening to the word, but listening to the world. Because we don't know. We need to know. Rightly, handling the word of truth not just referring to the gospel truth like when i say gospel i'm talking about good news specifically life death burial resurrection right we don't want to mess that up that's really important but more than just the gospel truth i would say to every aspect of truth is to be handled accurately from the scriptures by both those who teach it and those who hear it many people say well i'm not a bible teacher So I'm off the hook here, right? Rightly handling the word of truth? I would argue no. I would say you're also accountable to what you hear. Right? Like the Bereans in Acts 17, Paul. Paul's a rock star, okay? Paul comes. He teaches them the Bible. And they carefully evaluate everything that Paul says. Is it legit? Can I see where he's coming from biblically? Yes? Hmm, okay. Unfortunately... Many people who call themselves Christians today don't do that. It's like, well, yeah, Pastor Joe, I like how he teaches. I like how he speaks. It must be biblical. Don't ever say that. Ever. Oh, I, I like that guy. Sounds good. Must be good. No. <laughs> How they sound doesn't matter. Like, we need to evaluate, like, the substance, the words coming, right? Does that match up with scripture? Oh, okay. Yeah, it does. Yep. There it is. Right there in 2nd Timothy chapter 2 verse 15. This is so important. Throughout history, there have been people who have come under the banner of preacher, pastor, prophet, you name it, who have every reason to be ashamed. I've told the story before, and some of you have heard it. It's a great story, perfect for this sort of illustration. I try to give credit to Ravi Zacharias, because I think he's the one I heard it from. But Princeton Seminary, no surprise, is not what it once was. Princeton in general, even though Jonathan Edwards, who, by the way, that's like John Piper's, like, His, like, spiritual, like, mentor that he, like, just looks up to. He's actually buried there. Used to be the president of Princeton Seminary. Jonathan Edwards, who preached during the Great Awakening. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. That guy is there. School's not what it used to be. Young man goes to seminary recently. Feels called to the ministry. He's there at Princeton School of Divinity. Going through the first couple weeks of classes. You know, you're meeting people. Second, third week of classes, the, the one new acquaintance he met sitting next to him, class was pretty full, professor asked the question, how many of you here in this class believe in God? Oh, instinctively, the young man raises his hand, but then is stunned and startled to see that half the class didn't raise their hand, including his new friend that's sitting right next to him. He's perplexed. He walks out of the class, still kind of boggled and reeling from the question the professor phrased and really the response that he got, and pulls aside his new acquaintance and says, I, I, I noticed that you you didn't raise your hand when the professor asked how many of you believe in God? And he says, Well, I, I don't. He said, You don't? Then why are you here in seminary? He said, Because there's a lot of money to be made in this God business. And then you begin to understand that those people, that's that's a story from recently, like in the last decade, those people are in this world, are in this country, are probably in this state. And you begin to understand the urgency that Timothy do his best to present himself to God as one approved, a worker who is no need to be ashamed. Why? Because he's rightly handling God's word. Like that's why I pray when I come up here, God, don't let me make a mistake. I don't want to make a mistake today. It's such a big deal what I do when I come up here and I retell this Bible story. Every aspect of God's truth is to be handled accurately by those who teach it, and I would say by those who hear it. This is what the Reformers called sola scriptura, Anybody know what's happening on October thirty-first? You better not say Halloween. <laughs> quick, quick church history lesson, right? This is the, if you didn't know, this is the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation for it was October 31st, 1517 that Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the Wittenberg Cathedral door protesting, among many things, the Catholic Church is selling of indulgences. 500 years ago. Why are we Protestants, right? And I would argue... We continue to protest as the Protestants did. You say, Oh that's ancient history. I would say no. The Reformation continues. That the church may be purified. It continues today. Sola sola Scriptura came as one of the, the battle cries of the Reformation. Scripture alone, that is our standard, that is our authority. Not as the Catholics say, it's Scripture and tradition. No, it is the Word of God and God's Word only. That's it. No other standard of authority but God's Word. You say, but but. Joe, that's ancient history. That's 500 years ago. All that indulgence stuff. Some of you are like, I don't even know what indulgences are. Indulgences was the practice. And Like I said, there was a list of things that Luther had that he thought the Catholic Church was just totally wayward with. This was one of the things that just caught really hell for all intents and purposes. The church would sell these indulgences so you could come pay the priest amount of money and he would give you a certificate for for the sin that you committed to absolve you either here on the earth or in purgatory to absolve you of that sin it got so bad to the point where people were saying hey, I'm going to commit this sin so can I just pay you now and get it over with and they would hand the priest money and they would give them certificates for the sin that they had committed to absolve them of that that's ancient history ancient history, right? Do you know two years ago, Pope Francis, I was reading, I saw heard something about John Piper, that he had brought this to my attention. Two years ago, Pope Francis was still advocating the selling of indulgences within the Roman Catholic Church. It's not ancient history. That's why I say, we continue to protest today as Protestants. We continue to say sola scriptura above all else. That is our standard for authority, for what's right. Remember the the questions I I preface at the beginning of this? Do you listen to the world or to the word? It becomes very dangerous when we don't know our Bibles well because we become really easy prey to go along with the world. We need to know our Bibles. We need to know what the scriptures say. Every aspect, every aspect of God's truth is to be handled well. And not just by those who teach it. You're not off the hook just because you're not a Bible teacher. By those who hear it. By those who hear it. For otherwise, how will you know what path you are on as hearers of God's word? We continue. Verse 16, he says, but avoid irreverent babble. Avoid it. Avoid irreverent babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. Gangrene. Apparently, this is, even in modern warfare, this still sometimes can happen. But as a result, oftentimes, of battlefield injuries historically. And it, from my understanding, it deals with the circulation. And it, it, the circulation is just cut off and the blood flow stops. And as a result, your arm, your leg, it's worthless. It's died. It's dead. And boom, you got to cut it off. This is the picture, right? The cutting off and severing of limbs as a result of this ungodly, filthy, irreverent babble going forth. He says it's like gangrene spreading throughout the body. The picture of just chopping off limbs because it's just killing everything. Avoid this. Avoid this. Avoid this irreverent babble. It will lead people into more and more ungodliness. It will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Hymenaeus is a very uncommon name. Very uncommon which leads most commentators to believe that this is the same individual that Paul addresses in chapter 1 of the book of First Timothy, in which he calls out Hymenaeus because he's departed from the faith, from the truth. It seems that Paul's calling him out back in First Timothy has done nothing to his conscience and that he has and is continued to leading others astray. Nothing more is known of his sidekick here, Philetus, other than he's his co-conspirator. But this is what they're saying. They're saying that the resurrection has already happened. That's the essence of them swerving from the truth. You said but Paul's writing this after Christ resurrected from the dead. That's true, which should help you realize right away that if that was the case, he wouldn't be calling them out openly in this letter. That's not the resurrection they're speaking of. You have to understand, and this is pre-Gnosticism, but definitely you can feel the philosophical dualism that flows through this and this is this is what i mean by this the greeks had this understanding that the body was inherently evil it was like a cage it was a prison that the soul the spirit was good but the body was was bad it was evil and so any idea or understanding of a a, a resurrection really did not float well with them. And so the Greeks would say, well, any resurrection must be in the spiritual sense. And so they spiritualize the understanding, often the understanding of the resurrection. It seems to be, seems to be what Hymenaeus and Philetus are doing. When they say the, the resurrection has already happened, they're upsetting the faith of some. Paul put a huge emphasis on not on a spiritual bodily resurrection, but a physical bodily resurrection of Christ, of course. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, he stresses the point so much that he says, if Jesus did not resurrect from the dead, we of all men are most to be pitied, for we might as well eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. So it's no shocker that it says at the conclusion of verse 18, they're upsetting the faith of some when you understand just the emphasis the emphasis that paul puts on the teaching of the resurrection that some people their faith is whew, shaking a little bit right now i mean this is this is one of the, the hopes of us remember it really makes a lot of sense at this point why he opens up that section in verse 14 saying remind them of these things what things to remember Jesus, the resurrected new king. To remember that it's a trustworthy saying that even, even if we get treated like garbage, even if we die, we will live and reign with him forever. It makes a whole lot more sense against the backdrop of what Hymenaeus and Philetus are arguing that the resurrection's already happened. That it's already happened in some spiritual sense. And Paul's saying, no way. No way. He's drawing a clear line in the sand because that's contradicting everything that he has already said. It's contradicting really the hope that he's encouraging Timothy to persevere in the faith, even if it's hard, even if he's busy, even if it gets inconvenient, even if he gets treated like an animal, even if they take his life because he will live and reign forever with Jesus. And then you got these two dudes coming in and saying, oh, well, that's not really what it means we got a problem now. We've got a problem. And people are being very upset. He's saying the things that are coming out of their mouth, the things that are teaching, it is so ungodly. It's so irreverent. And it's spreading like gangrene. Like gangrene with circulation in my arm just ceases and the blood supply shuts off and my arm dies. (laughs) And then boom, chops off that's what he views the things coming out of their mouths it's disgusting and it's death so he comes in verse 19 and he says but God's firm foundation stands it stands of course this is the question what is the firm foundation what's the firm foundation well I'm going to argue that the firm foundation he's referring to is the church is the people of God. In fact, it's that way that he uses the phrase back in 1st Timothy. In 1st Timothy chapter 3:15, that's exactly how he uses this phrase. That the church is the pillar and support of the truth. Of the truth. That the that that this firm foundation he's referring to, it's the church. As Jesus says in Matthew 16, 18, he talks about the foundation of the church and how unshakable it will be. He says, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. The firm foundation to know that there are Hymenaeus and Philetus types out there, but the people of God People of God are safe, are secure. In fact, he goes on to say, and they bear the seal. The firm foundation bears the seal that the Lord knows those who are His, which makes a lot more sense if the firm foundation is in fact the church, the people of God. But the people of God, the firm foundation bears the seal. He knows, He knows those who are His. That's a comfort. To me, especially when you ask the question like, why should I wake up tomorrow still believing and trusting Jesus as my Savior? We're so fickle, right? Right? It's like, you're interested in anybody? It just depends what, what day of the week it is. Like, oh, there's this girl in my English class, but I got this girl in my Math 115 class. Oh, this girl at the Rot. Let me tell you about her. I mean, we're so fickle, just in general. Not even when it comes to like, like looking for the possibility of a, a, a mate, but just in general to, to think, why should I keep and continue believing that Jesus is my Lord and Savior tomorrow when I wake up? When I wake up tomorrow this definitely scratches at what's called the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. Why should I keep on believing when I wake and roll out of the bed tomorrow? The firm foundation, the people of God bear this seal. The Lord knows. He knows those who are His. As Jesus says in John chapter 10, that no one, no one can snatch them out of my hand. Like all that the Father give to me are are mine and no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. People always ask me, do you think you can lose your salvation? My short answer is no. Because I don't think you can lose something that doesn't belong to you. As Jonah 2.9 says, salvation is from the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. No, I don't think you can lose something that doesn't belong to you. Too many people give themselves too much credit for salvation. And not enough to God. This firm foundation, it bears a seal, and it is that the Lord knows those who are His. That's the first part of the seal. The Lord knows those who are His. We'll get to the second part in a second. But by implication, it seems to draw a line right here between Hymenaeus and Philetus, that they are not part of this firm foundation, that they do not bear this seal whatsoever. Do you listen to the word or the world? The phrase here, the Lord knows those who are His and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity, depart from sin, are most likely taken from the stories in the book of Numbers, specifically chapter 16. I'll paraphrase the story for the sake of brevity. The story centers around Moses and Aaron and a man named Korah, who's most likely believed to be a cousin of Moses. Korah feels short-changed. He feels he's too talented. He's too important to not be promoted. Why should Moses be the man? Why should Moses and Aaron get to be the man? He's Korah, after all. He comes from a very rich heritage and line of individuals. And so Korah engineers this coup. Moses, who's made you a prince over us? The text tells us in number 16. So Korah gets Ibrahim and a man named Dathan. They're they're really the the main co-conspirators mentioned with Korah. And they get about 250 other of the leaders there in Israel. And they basically, they want Moses to step aside. So Moses and Aaron say, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to sleep on this. We'll come back tomorrow. We'll revisit the issue. They come back the next day. And Moses says, if you guys die a natural death, live a long life, you'll know that everything you're saying is true. But if, say, I don't know, the ground swallows you up in a few moments alive, you'll know this was a mistake. And as soon as he finishes saying that, the ground opens up and swallows Korah and all the other leaders alive, taken down to the depths of Sheol. But right before he says that, Moses, in a loose paraphrase of this, he says, Let everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord depart from this sin. It's, 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 a, it's a loose paraphrase. He actually says, here's the direct quote, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing that belongs to them, lest you be swept away in all their sin. That's from Numbers 16.26. You love Jesus? He's your Lord and Savior? You got caught up with Korah and the excitement of, of this coup and rebellion? I get it. Here's your one and only chance. Step away right now. Step away right now. And this is the scene, it seems that this is the same story that Paul draws on in dealing with his own rebellion with Hymenaeus and Philetus. Step away right now. You don't want to die? Walk away now. I get it. Spiritual ignorance. You didn't know what was going on. You're foolish. Step away right now. Here's your one and only chance. And we think about this idea of, do we listen to the word or do we listen to the world? There are Philetus and hymenaeus in churches, in in, in places of worship today. And, And many of us are very foolish because We listen to people simply because they say that they're a Christian and we really don't carefully evaluate the things being said and we really need to. We really need to be more thoughtful and more critical of things. Things that we hear on Sundays. Things that we hear in convocation. Definitely. Things that we hear in our classes. Definitely. Things that we listen to or read on social media. And I could take, I could, could, you could, Take a step further with this application. It might not even be of a religious nature. It might not even be of a religious nature. It might be, hmm, I wonder if this is helping me to draw closer to God by following this person on Instagram. I wonder if, you know, following this person or reading their blog is, and maybe it's not even religious nature, I wonder if they're helping me to grow closer in God. If this, if if following these person's pictures or whatever it may be is helping me to persevere further in my faith. If it's not, if it's if it's a stumbling block to you, I say, here's your warning. Walk away. Walk away. Walk away while you still have legs to walk away. We really need to think about these things. I think far too many of us, we're just sometimes foolish. Foolish with the... Th- Music we listen to, the sometimes the, the pastors we we listen to, or the things we read, or the pictures we follow on social media, we need to be careful. We need to be careful. We need to think. Hmm. What does the Bible say? Oftentimes, I get questions. What do you think about this, Joe? And I usually always have an opinion. What does God's word say? Don't trust my opinion. Trust God's word. Trust God's word. Don't trust my opinion. Trust God's word. Trust God's word. Like some of you perhaps have been very foolish. and There's Hymenaeus and Philetus, perhaps individuals, people that have infiltrated your life and are not helping you by any means to persevere in the faith whatsoever. And they need to be cut out. They need to be cut out because the things that you're taking in are so unhealthy. Are so unhealthy. And some of you are just, maybe you're, you're not even like, it's not as drastic as you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm team Hymenaeus and team Philetus. Some of you are just maybe way over here and you're just like, well, I don't really know, but that's okay because like I'm not a Bible teacher after all. I think when it comes to rightly handling the word of truth, that it's not just those who teach it, it's also those who hear it. Because some people, I, you know, I had a conversation yesterday, and someone said, it, and I know sometimes this doesn't always reflect the person's heart, but I remember my heart in saying this, well, we can't really know, perhaps, you know, about that until heaven, right? And oftentimes it's just an excuse for me not to open my Bible and saying that in the first place. We can't really know because, well, well, in heaven we'll figure that out. Well, why don't you try right now? Like, Why don't you try and just open your Bible right now? And some people just, they they want to use that excuse of ignorance. And they're not even necessarily Team Hymenaeus or Team Philetus. They're just, well, I just want to, you know, be over here. And I would tell you and give you the words of Paul, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, depart from iniquity, depart from sin. And you can't, don't use, well, I didn't know as an excuse. Are these things that you're hearing that you're listening to that are coming into your consciousness, are they moving you toward Jesus to help you persevere? Because we all know the Christian life's really difficult. It's really hard. I mean it's not like we need, it's not like we need to have or sign up for additional stumbling blocks. There's there's plenty going around. Like, yeah, just, just take another like uh like wall in my way. Trust me, with the temptations you face on a weekly basis, you have enough of those stumbling blocks. We really need to do this. We really need to do this. Why? Because even though Hymenaeus and Philetus lived in the first century, they exist today. That's why I told you about the story with the young men at Princeton Seminary. They exist today and the devil he's trying to sift us he's, and he'll do whatever he can to get you to pull you away into some lie or falsity so Timothy do yourself one present yourself before god a workman rightly handling the word of god no reason to be ashamed oh that we might all strive to do that to stand before god in front of in front of him for inspection and pass and pass. Not stand in front of him and just use an excuse, but stand in front of him and pass that scrutiny because we've carefully handled and what we've taught and what we've heard, God's word. Know it well. Know it well for yourself. Don't rely upon your pastor, combo speaker, Bible teacher to get the word. Know it. Learn it. Love it. God, we love you. You're good. You're great. We're nothing without you. I pray that you would give us a love for your word. As this Protestant Reformation continues 500 years and counting, that we would love your word, that we would know your word. Protect us, God, from the enemy. Help some of us just to wake up, to wake up. To the reality that there are people who are trying to cause us to swerve from the truth, God protect us. I thank you, Lord, that the firm foundation is sure. And that we bear the the covenant seal of your people. You know us by name. You know who are who belong to you. And I, I pray that you'd you'd continue to keep us and protect us. Don't let us drift, God. Help us to keep going. Help us to love you. Help us to follow you and follow hard after you regardless of how difficult, how tough, how inconvenient, how busy our lives may be. May we always make you the priority. May we chase after you forever. Amen.